Would you welcome her as she comes to share the Word of God today? Well, he did ask me to come back a second year in a row, so I don't know if that was a sign of appreciation or if he's given me a second chance to get it right. Whichever it is, it was a dirty trick to make me do this after that baby dedication. <laughs> That's a hard act to follow. Um, I do want to share with you that um, the message, the word that I have for you today, God gave to me at a very challenging season in my life. And I sat down uh, with my Bible and I was reading and I was praying and God gave me a word and the word he gave me was promises. And I didn't really understand how that word um, corresponded to the scripture that I had read. I was reading in Luke um, chapter 1. But it was literally um, about two hours later when I got the message from pastor that asked if I was uh, willing to do Mother's Day this year. And so I knew that that word was not just for me, that that word was for mothers and daughters and sisters today. And so over the next few months, God um, just, he really spoke to me and he showed me things in Luke chapter 1 that I hadn't seen before. And then, then it made sense. It all came together and it made sense. And so that, that's what I'm going to talk to you this morning about promises um, you know, promise is something that we make to one another. It is an assurance, a guarantee that we're going to give something or do something for someone. And we make promises and we, we plan our lives around the promises that people make to us. We will schedule our day, our week, and even our future based on something someone has told us they're going to do. The problem is that people break promises, right? We make a promise with a certain set of information before us. And as time goes on, we learn more information and we might change our minds. And we break our promise. But the thing about God is when God makes a promise, he already has all of the information, he is all-knowing. He sees everything. So when he makes a promise, that promise is true. He will not change his mind. Right? The scripture tells us that God is not slack concerning his promises. And 2 Corinthians tells us that no matter how many promises God makes, they are all yes and amen. amen. Another translation I like, they are all yes and it is done. So this, the promises in this word, there are over 8,000 promises in the word of God. Over 7,000 of those promises are promises that God makes directly to humankind. These are the promises that we can set our future and our hopes and our dreams by. Amen. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. We are going to read a lot of scripture today. So I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I am going to ask you to pray with me and for me this morning. Lord God, I, I come to you this morning thankful, God, 
for this opportunity. I don't ever want to take for granted the chance that I have to share the word with people. So I thank you for that. And God, I do believe that you have prepared me for this word. I believe, God, that you have prepared the hearts and the ears of those who will hear the message today, God. But in this moment, Lord, what I need from you is for you to help me deliver the word that you have given. God, I pray that it will be spoken clearly, that it will be understood, and God, that it will encourage and bless those who need this word today, God. Above all else, Lord, I pray that you are blessed by what happens in the sanctuary this morning. We thank you, we love you, and we bless your name. Amen. Um, so we are going to be reading in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 5, and I am reading from the NIV version. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came... All the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We're going to skip down to verse 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his 
father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is already in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth. And Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. The baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. If I had a key verse today, that would be it. Verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Here in Luke... The angel makes two visits within a six-month period of time. This is the first time in the New Testament that God speaks. And when God speaks for the first time in the New Testament, both Elizabeth and Mary receive a promise from God, the promise of a child. But this is not the first time that the promise is actually Given. This is just when the promise was received by Elizabeth and Mary. These children were promised back in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 40, the promise was made of one who would come with a voice in the wilderness, crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. In Isaiah 53, The promise of the one who would come to lay down his life for the sins of the world, the Messiah. His promise is foretold in Isaiah. And the very last time that God speaks in the Old Testament is in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And those scriptures reference John the Baptist. That will be Elizabeth's son. So the last time that God speaks in the Old Testament, he gives the promise. And then the time between that and the first time he speaks in the New Testament where the promise is received is 400 years. 400 years between when the promise was given and the promise was received. So what happened during that 400 years? Well, most of what we know about that 400 years comes from other historical writings. Um, We know that Alexander the Great defeated the Persians during that 400 years. We know that the Greek culture, the Greek gods, were heavily influencing the world. 
Greek becomes the dominant language during that 400 years. And so during that 400 years, this, this is a time that becomes very problematic for the Jews. The Jews are supposed to be set apart, not like the rest of the world. But it's becoming more and more difficult for them to obey the Jewish laws because there are so many of them. And the influence of the Greek gods is so heavily influencing their culture. It's becoming overwhelming. But that is the place where all of their abilities, all of their resources, all of their man-made options have been exhausted. It's at this place where if the Messiah shows up on the scene now, it will be recognized for what it is. It will be recognized as the fulfillment of God's promise. So God gave the promise and then God went silent. And then 400 years later, the promise is received. But notice, God doesn't skip a beat. Because at the end of Malachi, this is God's voice speaking. This is what God says. I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That's the last time he speaks. And then the first time he speaks in the New Testament, he says, speaking of John, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. His conversation never ended. It's been 400 years, but he's picking up right where he left off. It's like no time has passed for God. That season of silence, that 400 years, that was the season of preparation. Some of you are in that position today. You have been praying for something. You've been praying for that lost husband, for that addicted child for that sick child and you heard the voice of God tell you it will be done and then God has gone silent but make no mistake that this is the season of preparation he is preparing you so that when he fulfills his promise you will recognize it as the fulfillment of his promise let's look at what Elizabeth and Mary did after they received their promise Elizabeth receives her promise, and she goes into seclusion for five months. Mary, she receives her promise, and she leaves her family. She leaves her hometown. She makes an 80-mile journey on foot to get to Elizabeth, and she stays there for three months. This is what I would call the season of seclusion. This is the season that comes between the time you receive the promise, and when the promise is going to be fulfilled. Elizabeth goes into seclusion five months. What does she do while she's there? Well, she spends her time acknowledging that God is at work. She thanks God for the promise that she has received, but she has not seen come to pass. She says in the scripture, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor. And Mary, what does Mary do? 
Well, Mary spends that three months with Elizabeth, and she writes a song. And we didn't read those scriptures, but in that same chapter of Luke, verses 46 through 56, that is the song that Mary writes. And she writes a song about how her soul glorifies her Lord, how her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. The season of seclusion is about acknowledging what God is doing before it is done. It is the season where you put your faith into practice. Now, faith can be a difficult thing to practice on your own. Uh, But the season of seclusion, it's not a season of loneliness. Uh, Elizabeth and Mary, they had each other, right? But what's critical is they had each other because God directed Mary to Elizabeth. Remember, Mary didn't know that her relative Elizabeth was going to have a child. It was the angel Gabriel who told her that Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age. She's already six months along. That was not a coincidence. God brought these two women together in similar circumstances so that they could build each other's faith up while they waited on the fulfillment of their promise. What I am saying here, ladies, is that we have to be selective about who we surround ourselves with, especially when we are in a season of needing to actively practice our faith. God will send the right people to encourage you and to encourage your faith. What do you imagine would have happened If Elizabeth had just gone out and started telling everybody that she was going to have a baby. Well, I imagine they would have started talking about having her committed. Elizabeth is very old, probably at least 60. She has never been able to conceive a child before. Um, We didn't read the scriptures because there's so so many different directions we could go there, but... The Cliff Notes version of what happened to Zechariah in the temple is that when the angel told him his wife was going to have a child, he didn't believe God, and so God struck him mute and deaf as a curse. Now, I know every mother in here is thinking, that's not a curse at all. (laughs) Uh, But that's what happened. And so if Elizabeth had just gone out and started telling people that she was with child, I mean, can't you just hear the voices of those ladies? Well, you know, I heard that when her husband got back from that business trip to Jerusalem, he has not spoken a word to her since. I seriously doubt she is with child. Okay? That's not, that's not the voice that Elizabeth needed to hear right? Elizabeth needed to surround herself with someone who understood her faith and would practice her faith with her. And God sent Mary to her for that purpose. We've been guilty of the same thing sometimes, haven't we? Right? Sally comes to the altar every Sunday and Sally's praying for that son who's been addicted, and she's just sent him to rehab for the third time. And we go out in the foyer, and we talk about, well, you know, I heard Sally had to file for bankruptcy. She's just paid for his third rehab. 
Hmm? You don't know what God has promised Sally about her son. Sally needs a mother who has been there. Sally needs a mother who is there now. Sally needs a friend to come alongside her and pray with her and fight through that with her. When you are in a season of seclusion, God will send you the right people to encourage your faith rather than being discouraged by the things that only our physical eyes can see. And at verse 45, Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She's saying that to Mary, but she's also speaking that over the two of them together, right? She is saying, we understand. We are in this together. So while you are waiting in that season of seclusion, when you are waiting on the fulfillment of your promise, seclude yourself with God and with others who will understand And the season of fulfillment will come to you. The very last words that the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary were, For no word from God will ever fail. And sure enough, if we go down to verse 57, we read that Elizabeth gave birth to a son and that the whole community rejoiced with her. You flip over to chapter 2 and we read the Christmas story. We read about the fulfillment of Mary's promise when she delivers a son, Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of God's promises are guaranteed. You may be in a season where God is silent. He's preparing you. You might be in that season of seclusion and it is taking every ounce of strength you have to practice your faith. But the season of fulfillment is coming to you. And how do we know this? How do we know that God is going to fulfill his promises? Well, because it's his track record. Because there has never been a time, not in this scripture and not in our lives, where God has failed to fulfill his word. He always keeps his word. He keeps his promises to us in spite of us. He did it for the entire nation of Israel. They failed him. They left him for other gods. They complained about how he took care of them in the wilderness. But God made them a promise. He told them, you will be my people and I will be your God. And so what did God do for them? He saved their firstborns. He did provide for them in the wilderness for for 40 years. He did deliver them from the hand of their enemies. In spite of their failures, in spite of their mistakes, he won their battles. And he will do the same thing for us. The truth is that you and I are here today because God kept his promise. It may not be a promise God made to you, but it might be a promise God made to your mother. A promise God made to your grandmother. That is God fulfilling his promises in our lives. His promises cross generational boundaries. There's an old saying, and we say it sometimes not even thinking twice about it. We say, faith is blind, but there is nothing farther from the truth. Our faith is not blind. Our faith 
sees what God has done in the past. Our faith is based on who God has proven himself to be time and time again in our lives. The scripture tells us that Sarah, she was barren and could not conceive, and yet she judged God to be faithful to what he had promised, and she did conceive a child. In the book of Numbers, the scripture tells us that God is not a man that he should tell or even act a lie. And Titus 2 tells us God cannot lie. And in Psalm 89, God says of himself, my covenant, I will not break. God is eternal and so are his promises. Now, we can't miss the fact that Elizabeth and Mary, they were positioned to receive the fulfillment of God's promises in their lives. The scripture told us that Elizabeth and her husband both were godly people. They were righteous. They observed all the Lord's commands and decrees. They were blameless in the sight of God. Now, does that mean that they were sinless? Absolutely not, because no one's ever walked this earth sinless except Jesus Christ himself. But it does mean that Elizabeth lived her life in such a way that she obeyed the laws to the best of her ability in the places that she went, in the things that she said, in the things that she participated in and did not participate in. She was righteous and blameless. And Mary, the scripture tells us that Mary was highly favored of God and that the Lord was with her. So they were positioned to receive the promises of God in their lives. And I wanted to stop here and talk a little bit about Mary because we've talked so much about the similarities of the two promises, but it would not do the scripture justice if we didn't talk about the one major difference that we see between the promise that Elizabeth received and the promise that Mary received. You see, the the promise that Elizabeth received, the promise of a child for her, was something that when the community found out about that, they were going to rejoice with her. And that's what happened in the scripture. But for Mary, this same promise of a child, her promise meant in large part that shame would probably be placed on her where it was relieving Elizabeth's shame to the people. Mary is a young Jewish girl, probably 15 or 16 years old. She is unmarried. She is pledged to be married to Joseph, and she is carrying a child that does not belong to Joseph. According to Jewish law, under those circumstances, Mary could be stoned to death for adultery. Sometimes the people in the world around us, they do not recognize the promises of God in our lives as that. Sometimes the fulfillment of God's promises is going to cost us something. For Mary, it will cost her reputation, her hopes, her dreams, possibly even her future with the man she loves. There is one moment in time in the scripture where Mary has the opportunity to accept the promise or walk away from the promise. And that moment happens between verses 37 and 38. At the end of verse 37, Gabriel has just told her the plan, the plan for her to deliver the Son of God. 
and he says, no word from God will ever fail, and there is a pause. There is a break at the end of verse 37, where Gabriel stops talking, and he waits for Mary's response. That one moment that Mary has to think about all of the things that accepting this promise of God in her life will mean for her. And finally, at verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And with her response, Mary becomes the first person to ever accept Jesus Christ. Out of over 8,000 promises in this book, the greatest promise that we have is found in 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us. And when you accept that promise into your life, that is the promise that all of the other promises will hinge on. That is the greatest promise. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added to us. Today, I believe that there are mothers and daughters and sisters who need to declare the promises of God in their lives. In particular, there are six promises that the Lord laid on my heart to share with you today. And as I get ready to wrap up and we think about coming to the altar to pray, um, I want you to think about these promises. And if you are one of the women that needs to claim one of these promises in your life, then the altar call will be for you this morning. Psalm 46 and 5 I am in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Isaiah 62 and 3, you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. Song of Solomon 4 and 7, you are altogether beautiful. There is no flaw in you. Proverbs 31 and 28, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And finally, to the mother who feels like she cannot claim Proverbs 22 and 6 for herself. To the mother who did not raise her child in a Christian home. Who didn't find Jesus until after her children were grown. This is what the Lord wants you to know today. God wants you to know that he will preserve every seed of instruction and wisdom that you plant even now. The promise for you is found in Isaiah 55 and 11 where God declares that his word will not return void. It will go forth and accomplish his will. And 2 Peter tells us that his will is that none should perish but all should come to accept repentance. All over the sanctuary this morning, would you bow your heads with me? This message, while it is Mother's Day, we've been talking about promises. And the greatest promise that anyone could ever receive is the promise of eternal life 
salvation through Jesus. And so before we go any further, I want to ask, is there anyone here this morning that would acknowledge that you are not living your life in a position to be set up to accept the promises of God? That you need to accept Him or you need to recommit your life to Him this morning? If that is you and you are ready to accept Jesus today, you're ready to make that commitment, would you just slip your hand up? Just slip it up and then slip it right back down. Thank you. I see those hands. God sees those hands. Thank you for that. This morning, there are many of you who are in that season of silence. You believe you heard from God. You know you heard from God, but he's been silent for so long. This morning, you might need God to reconfirm his promise to you. Or you might find yourself in that season of seclusion, that season where you've heard from God, you've accepted his promise for what it is. He's prepared you, and now you're just waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. But maybe you need some women to come alongside you. Maybe you need some mothers who have been there, who have fought the battle that you're fighting. If that is you this morning, if you need to claim the promises of God, if you need God to reconfirm His promise in your life, or you need some people to come alongside you and believe in your promise with you, would you make your way to this altar this morning and let me pray with you today? God is not slack concerning his promises. Is there anyone that would come to the altar today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.